0: morning again and uh, my name is roger and i'm a church uh, planting resident here on staff it's privileged to be here worshiping with everyone also um, immense privilege to um, bring the word to you uh as some of you know we've been going to the book of isaiah we've been looking at the servant songs of isaiah to see what the messiah was to do uh, his job description as it were and for the next couple of weeks we'll continue to look in uh, uh, book of Isaiah and what the uh, Messiah or the servant of the Lord has brought, what, uh, what kind of transformation, what kind of renewal uh, his personal work has brought. So today, our passage, com- passage comes from uh, at the end of Isaiah 50, chapter 59 and to the end of uh, Isaiah 60, uh, verse 22. So if you would stand, uh, and I will read uh, the word uh, as you stand. And it's a bit long passage, so And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth forevermore. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up up your eyes all around, and see, they all gather together, they come to you, your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud, and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall go hope for me, the ships Tarshish first. To bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. foreigners, are, foreigners pardon me, foreigners shall, shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall now be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations where their kings led in possession. For the nation and kingdom that will now serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I'll make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, but no one passing through. I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stone, stone's iron. I'll make your overseer's peace and your taskmaster's righteousness. Violence shall, shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The, sh- the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor brightness shall, be, shall the moon give you, li- uh, give you light, uh, for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be uh, righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least uh, least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Um, There um, there are many themes that run throughout the Bible. Uh, For example, there is a temple. Uh, from the very beginning of the time to when Jesus comes and the, the new temple. And there are many different themes that run throughout the Bible. One of them is is uh, exile and ho- homecoming. Um, that runs throughout the Bible. As, as you remember from the gen- Genesis chapter 3, we read that Adam and Eve have been cast out from the Garden of Eden. From that point on, as a human race, we have lost our true home. So the theme of uh, exile, theme of uh, homesickness uh, constantly comes up throughout the Bible. Uh, so it is here in the book of Isaiah. Here, uh, Isaiah, in this passage which is read, gave a very uh, insightful diagnosis of that condition of all humankind, uh, actually not restricted to Christians. Uh, all of us feel that way in some way. And he also gave us a really um, heartwarming, you might say, or encouraging uh, solution to that diagnosis. So uh, let's look into this here um, in three headings here. First, our longing for home, uh, our, and our ideal home, and our wait home. So first of all, our longing for home. Um, here, Isaiah tells us we're homeless in the world. Um, what do I mean by that, we're homeless? Uh, as we dive into Isaiah, uh, here chapter 60, uh, one thing important to remember is uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter 39, there is a historic uh, account of King Hezekiah in which he, in his pride, uh, showed the ambassadors from Babylon all his wealth. They, he invited them into his kingdom. He thought that he was one of the greatest on earth, so he opened up all his treasure house to show them all he had. Because of that, uh, Isaiah came to King Hezekiah and said, uh, because you have acted out of your pride, because you have shown the king of uh, Babylon, basically you're all you have, Babylon will actually come and conquer you uh, for your sin and your people will be taken out of their home, be taken to a foreign land where they're not home. They will be under slavery, they will be under oppression. But later on, we, we read in Isaiah 40, all the way to the end of book Isaiah, which includes this passage, The Isaiah also promises hope for the people who will be exiled. He's basically saying that even though the people of Israel will be taken out of their home, some of them may die away from home. They will lose family members, they will lose their possession, they will, for a time or, you know, till the day of their death, they will lose everything they've had. But there's hope, there's hope of homecoming. There's hope that one day God will actually come and bring them home. And as we read in Isaiah, uh, this part of Isaiah, later part of Isaiah, we realize the promise Isaiah gave to the people, uh, his first readers, cannot really be realized in the physical earthly Jerusalem, even if they were brought back to Jerusalem, to their old home, you might say. The promise of Isaiah was too great for that to be the case, for that to be the uh, end fulfillment. So what Isaiah is saying is that there is another home awaiting for them and for us. Uh, What Isaiah describes is actually a common human condition. Of course, you and I today do not live in uh, historical uh, Israel. We do not face literally the danger of being taken out of our home by a superpower and being oppressed, uh, being Taken to slavery, we do not face that. Some of us have, have homes to go to, uh, if your homes are healthy. A uh, holiday, some of us don't have homes to go to, but y- you and I both know that even if we have the best homes in the world, they still do not satisfy us. There's something still missing. You know that we somehow in this world don't ever feel like we're at home. Uh, we live in Madison, a transient city. Uh, some of you have made it home here. Uh, some of you are not from here. As you know that you know, everything seems just passing by, That. You know, life doesn't seem to abide in one place, and you don't feel at home. Uh, one of my favorite um, writers, C.S. Lewis, in his normal, eloquent way, has put this uh, this condition very, very elegantly. He says, um, I, I summarize, and I will quote what he says. He says, you know, uh, the kind of feeling you have when you first fall in love, when you so think about a foreign country, or take up a new subject you study the kind of feeling that you have th- this longing uh, you feel. If you look it deep in your heart, we all have this longing that we, we try to find them in these things, these, in, in, a, in a new country or uh, in vacation, in, in marriages. He says that those kind of longings, even the best marriages the best education, the best vacation cannot satisfy. Then he goes on to say one of his most fa- uh, famous lines. He says, we've been looking for this all our lives, but something has evaded us. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I must keep alive in myself the the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must uh, make it the main object of life to press on to that country and help others do the same. Do you hear what Lewis is trying to say? He's saying both him and you and I have this deep learning in our hearts that we, nothing we do, no work, no marriage, no home, can really satisfy even the best ones. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Uh, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, I want, to, I want to invite you to see in your hearts that something that's so deep that nothing in this world can satisfy. So where do we go from here? If that's true, if that's true of you and me, if that's true of Isaiah's first readers and hearers, wh- where, where do we go from here? Here Isaiah gives us a picture of our ideal home where we'll be satisfied. Uh, look at w- with me here um, from verse uh, four to the end of the chapter. He gives us a few different pictures of the home. First, he says that our true home is where flourishing are made possible and true blessing is enjoyed. Uh, if you see verse, verse four here, as uh, a picture of family gathering, your children are being brought home. Uh, uh, and you, you might think of a gathering of your home that uh, if you had children, uh, they've been brought home as a family and that's not all of it, not just they're physically there, but even uh, animals and wealth and, and uh, all kinds of prosperity is being brought into your home. That you will not have to worry about a daily provision of food, of clothing, uh, of anything that you need the necessity of life. And then he says in verse 15 that not only that, you will have joy out of sorrow. That you will not only experience the sorrow in this life, as you know that we all experience sorrow one way or another, sometimes for a long time of our life, sometimes short, but we all experience some sorrow. But this is in our true home, that sorrow will be wiped away, every tear will be wiped away. And that's he says in verse 15. He says, whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I'll make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. In other words, he's saying to, to his first readers, but also to you, that even though you're homeless, one day you will not only come home, you also have joy, inexpressible, you have the joy that you never lose. You have a home that you can, you can stay in, abide in, that you never want to leave. Is that wonderful, it's not a wonderful picture of home, but that's only part of it. He goes on to say that our true home is where safety and freedom are, are found. So notice in verse 10 to 11, he says that um, the foreigners will come to you and your gates will continue to be open. Uh, of course, now, in modern cities, we don't have gates. Um, you know, so that may be a little bit more uh, distant from us. But in that time, you know, every town had literal gates to, to, to bar them from enemy invasion. So for the gates to continue to be open means that they do not have any enemies. There's no danger. There's no danger of being conquered. So Isaiah says that your true home, their true home, our true home, is where the gates will never be shut. There'll be utter safety. You'll never have to be afraid. As you know, um, unfortunately in our, in our earthly existence now, there are many homes that are not safe, not, not where you can go feel safe. There may be family members that you know that are actually very dangerous, so where do you go from there? Where's hope? As I says there is hope. There is a home that you can go to that's utterly safe, that you will not have to be afraid. You, have, you, don't, have, you don't have to run away anymore. You can stay. And here's something that as i was telling to the church today. The church has a very uh, very checkered record of being a safe place of which we should all repent if you're a Christian <laughs> uh, me too and I think that Isaiah although he says that the church has not done a good job to be in a safe place but that nonetheless is our call God through Isaiah is calling the church to be a safe place where people can feel at home the church is basically you might think of as a postcard from heaven you know when you go to a foreign country where you travel you send home a postcard with a picture from where you, where you are and with a message the church is supposed to be like that. We're not heaven, heaven has not come down, but we are a postcard. When people see us, they should see a glimpse of heaven, the glimpse of the safety that you long for, a glimpse of a place where you, you belong, where flourishing, where security and safety are possible. Do, do, they, uh, do people in Madison look at, at us, Re- Resurrection Presbyterian Church, do they look at us that way? Do they think we're a place where no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background, they feel safe to be here? Um, or with that kind of community, and that's what we're called to do called to be. And one of the other things to notice is uh, there's some language here that may—that may sound like uh, the people of Israel may enslave other nations. But actually, that's not what Isaiah is saying. If you notice here, uh, he says foreigners shall build up your walls, and later on he says that they will—they will come and to—to work in your city. Well, Isaiah's picturing is not. Uh, the people of Israel just go out and conquer people and bring them in to work for them. He's picturing of all nations from all languages, all tribes and tongues come willingly because of the beauty of God's people and to work to build up God's family. Therefore, here's another call for for the church today. Uh, As you might say that um, the church is supposed to be a place where different race, different people from different backgrounds, different nations, languages can coexist with harmony uh, you must say, uh, unity and diversity. Now we, we are a place where, even though we have not done a good job, we're supposed to be that place where no matter who you are, no, no matter your skin color, no matter your race, your nationality, no matter your background, you can feel accepted, because that's what the picture Isaiah's given, is given us here, and that's our call. So are we, that uh, community, that's attractive enough for people to come, to see our beauty, no matter who they are, to be part of it? And then, of course, our true home, uh, lastly, is where everlasting life and holiness is found. Um, and in verse 19 to 21, he says, the sun uh, shall be no more uh, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be everlasting light. And, uh, and, and he goes and says, the Lord will be a- everlasting light, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more sorrow. What is he really saying, the sun will be no more? Um, he's saying something that, uh, we can only understand if we go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, um, the God's dwelling place is in the temple uh, when the temple was there. Before that, was a tabernacle when, the, when Moses uh, told people to build a tabernacle. So God was dwelling with people at a place, a, a, lo- a local place, uh, in a tabernacle, in the, in the temple. Then after that, the temple was destro- uh, destroyed and people were exiled. So there was no dwelling place for God. But here, Isaiah says that there is a uh, the, in our new home. God will again dwell with us. He will be your light, so that you will not need any light. So he will be, do- to be dwell- dwelling with you, that you have everlasting life. Uh, everlasting life, uh, you might think of as um, a long life, a life that's way longer than 80 years, 90 years that we can live. But actually, everlasting life is also a quality of life, not just a length of life. Of course, you would live on to endless days, but the quality of life is way better because of God's presence with you, that we were made for God, and now we will dwell with God. Um, at this point, I want to say a word to those who may not be Christians. You might say, you know, all the everlasting life, all the eternal life talk, that's useful fiction that helps you through this life, but that can't be true. No one, no one can prove that you can live forever. Uh, if you're one of those people, and if you know people who are like that, I want to uh, kind of put two thoughts in front of you. One is that really, um, if, if you know uh, surrounding us now, the pandemic, death, sickness, illness. When you look around uh, yourself, you know that's not the way supposed, things are supposed to be. You know that death is not right. Something's wrong with death. Something's really wrong with that. We're not supposed to die. You know, when deep in your heart, whether you believe there's eternal life, you know that death is an intrusion from outside. You know death is something wrong. Death is your enemy. The Bible says death is our enemy, not our friend. Death is never something we can take tr- in, tranquil. Uh, thoughts, oh, I'm just going to die, be, be one with the universe. No, death is something that um, is our enemy we're fighting against. Also, if you think of sometimes when you fall in love or when you look at a landscape that just takes your breath away, the language you use are actually language of eternity. You want this moment to last forever. You know, the, the language of happily ever after. Or, the, you know, this mountain or this ocean is just so immense that taking me out of myself, Make me feel small because I'm part of a larger whole. All of those languages actually stretch the bounds of this life. You, no, nothing in this life can last forever, as you know, but we, we want that, don't we? You want that. I want that. I want love to love forever, or last forever. I want life to last forever. I don't want to die. No one wants to die. So actually, in, deep in our hearts, we all want to live forever. Isaiah says, in and, 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 and this home, you will get to not just forever as, as far as how long you live, but forever as a quality of life, life with God. So then now, you along with the first readers of Isaiah might be asking the question is, okay, but how do we, how do we get there? That sounds really good. If, if you if at this point say, well that sounds good, sounds like a great great place to go, but how do we get there? Is that really possible to get there? And that's, that's the last question we'll answer is, how do we get there, our, our way home? Or to put it another way, how, how are homes brought to us? Um, so if you look back to the very beginning of what we read here, in uh, 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 chapter 59, verse 21, God is speaking to his servant again, the servant that we read about in these servant songs of Isaiah, He's saying that he will put his spirit upon the servant, and the servant will be obedient to him because he will speak God's word. So in other words, Isaiah is saying that whatever um, desire we have in our hearts can only be fulfilled, this longing for home, this deep longing for eternal life, can only be fulfilled through this servant of God. But more concretely, here's how it happens. In John chapter one, that famous passage in the book of John, he said, uh, John writes, um, uh, "He ca- um, the true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world uh, the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God." who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, and, this, and the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what John is saying is John is looking back to this passage, looking back all the passages, talking about home, talking about light, remember, light shining on you, to say the true light has come in this newborn baby in the manger, in Jesus Christ. But here's what it actually means. So you say, well, of course, I know you're gonna get there. Of course, Jesus is the answer, but here's more practically what that means. Um, Between the time of Isaiah to the time of Jesus' birth, there were 700 years, 700 years of exile. Uh, They will be um, dominated by different nations, Assyria, Babylon, and Rome. So 700 years, when people during that 700 years look back to Isaiah's prophecy, they will be saying, well, this is laughable, This this is not real, how can you, how can this be true? We've been out here for 500 years, 600 years. Nothing has happened. We're still homeless. And you may be in that position too. You might be saying uh, you might be someone who uh, struggled with a chronic illness. You live with chronic, you, or you know someone that does. That you know that when when you when you deal with something like that, nothing seems to change. You, you know, most of the time people don't see your struggle, don't see how hard it is, like how hard life can be if you live with chronic illness. You think, well. God, how long is this going to be? How long can, can I hold on for? And um, Or you might be someone who struggles with a particular sin that you can't shake off. You say, I've been struggling with this for 15 years. Am I a Christian? Is God still with me? How can I be a Christian if I'm still struggling with this? You might be in that place where you say, I'm, about, I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to give up because I've been so sick for so long. Or I'm, I'm ready to give up because that I can't that overcome this particular sin in my life. Here's what Isaiah is saying, um, his illustration um, through Jonathan Evans. He is the son of um, Tony Evans, who was a pastor. Jonathan Evans um, used to be a chaplain in the National Football League. He gives eulogy in his mother Lois' funeral, talking about how he was wrestling with God um, through this illness of his mother. Here's what he says. He says, I was wrestling with God because I said, if we have victory in your name, didn't you hear us when we were praying? Didn't you see, did you see the cancer? Did you hear us? Why didn't you do what we were asking of you? And as I was wrestling with God, he answered. He said, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. Because victory has already, uh, was already given to your mom, you don't understand because the victory that I, give, that I have given you there has, uh, here's the victory I've given you. Here's his, his exact quote. There was always only two answers to her prayers. Either she was going to be healed, or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live, or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family, or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of, or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me, because of what I've already done for you in Christ. The two answers to your prayer are yes and yes because victory belongs to Jesus. Of course, this is not saying that as long as we pray, we'll get wealth and health. That's not what Jonathan Evans is saying, but he is saying that in a long night of struggle, in your despair, there's always one answer to your prayer, that yes, you will be healed. If not in this life, in the next life. If not if not now, to overcome that sin, you will in the end. Victory belongs to Jesus. So in in the 700 years of your struggle as it were. You can take courage because Jesus has come, that he has brought victory to you. But secondly, what that practically means that our true home, we've been, we've been talking about the true home, of a place of a freedom, of a security, of flourishing, is actually not just a place, it's a person. Our true home is now bound up to a geographic place. As you know, Isaiah's prophesying the returning home to Jerusalem, but as you know, Jerusalem later on was conquered again People are scattered again from Jerusalem. So that's not really their true home. Their true, ho- well, our true home, lies in that baby again in the manger. The lie from uh, from the outside. Our true home rests when Jesus gave up his home, the heavenly home, to come rescue us. When he was homeless, as you know, he's as fast as holes. Birds of nests, but Son of God has no word, no word to lay his head. He was he was literally homeless on our behalf when he came here. He lost his glory. Um, He he, he hid his glory when he came here um, so that we might enjoy his glory. He went on the cross outside the city. He was exiled. He was homeless. He was oppressed, despised, so that in him you may be brought home. Don't you see how much it cost him to do that? How much it cost him not only to come God in the flesh, but also to live a life of homelessness, loneliness, so that in your own home, uh, in your own struggle, you know that he knows you, he can understand you. So this, um, so, so how do we get there? We get there by looking to Christ by faith, because we, we know that, that has not truly, our true home has not, has not yet come. So we look, him, uh, look at, to him by faith in his life. But also, uh, this is also a lesson for us that our, true, uh, our condition of homeless in our hearts cannot be remedied uh, by something in our hearts. Jesus is saying in John 1, also Isaiah is saying here in Isaiah 60, that the help we need comes from outside. As I would read, A right shine for you, light has come. The light comes from the outside. So it's common today for you to, to hear uh, people say, You know, you have everything you need within you to solve all the problems you, you have. You have all the wisdom, all the resources you need within yourself. However, the Bible is saying uh, that is not true. Within ourselves are um, disordered desires. Conflicted thoughts sometimes, and as you know that if you walk through life by yourself, you don't have all the resources you need. You need other people. Ultimately, you need Christ. He's saying that help's coming from outside. Help can only come when we face our own darkness in our in our, in ourselves and look for help outside. There's a famous story. Um, one time, uh, the um, the uh, n- a newspaper in London put out a question to all the famous people at that time, asking. What's wrong with the world today? They're asking replies from different people. In G.K. Chesterton, he was a Catholic theologian and a novelist. He wrote back with one sentence. He says, dear sir, I am yours G.K. Chesterton. He's saying that the darkness is within him, not out there. The darkness, the trouble we have, the, long, the longing we have is not because something out there. It's because we have turned away from God in the very beginning, so we feel like we're not home. So now we can only get home, as we said, because Christ has given up his home, because that he has gone to the cross on our behalf so that we can have God dwell with us again. The light can shine upon us once more. Um, In conclusion, I want to go back to C.S. Lewis. Uh, He described it so beautifully, I think that, and conclude with this. He says, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality is part of our inconsolable secret. And surely from this point of view, the promise of glory becomes highly relevant to our deep desire. For glory means good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will be open at last. And the door you've been knocking on your life will be open at last because the door was shut against Christ and is open for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing our home to us. Thank you for dying and living on our behalf. Uh, May us today live in faith so that we may experience your true home now and thereafter. In Jesus' name, amen.